You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope that you are all keeping well and healthy and sane during this period of confinement. First of all, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for those of you who have left a review for the airing cupboard on iTunes. Your kind words are very encouraging and the little comment by Suffolk Yoga Boutique about listening to me read the phone book, well, anytime, just give me a buzz. Thank you very much for all those reviews. They make my day. I work on those stories with the protagonist and I record them and I put them out into the big world. And from that point, apart from the protagonist and a few friends or family, I have no idea how those stories are received, really, by you, the listeners. So to read your comments, it's really good because it links me to you. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that you mustn't be afraid that your story might not be enough to be voiced. Countless times, the protagonist has told me, oh, something extraordinary has happened to me, but, you know, it's really not enough to voice, but I will tell you anyway. And your story is always enough. And also, I am quite cunning at hiding people's identity and places and sometimes even countries so that the story can be left anonymous. Because that is paramount to me, if indeed the identity of the protagonist needs to be protected. So for that reason, I also wanted to quickly explain the interview process. So it usually starts with an email, and then I set up an internet phone call so that we can meet each other, and you can tell me your tale. Sometimes that phone call is recorded, so that I can be reminded of all the details later on, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes I am allowed to use the protagonist's voice, Sometimes not. By the way, it's quite funny to um, say that mostly it is men who allow me to do that. Women, for strange reasons, they seem to prefer staying behind my voice. Once I've worked on the story, recorded it and edited it, the very first person to hear it is the protagonist. And only then will I upload the story on the Airing Cupboard podcast. I just thought I needed to clarify this as I understand it could seem a daunting process. But really, it isn't. In actual fact, I've been told that it is quite cathartic. And last of all, I wanted to add, this is a non-commercial project. No Patreon, no adverts, no money made whatsoever. It is just for pure pleasure and happiness. Mine, and I hope, yours. So now, after listening to all these boring ramblings, you have probably heard the entirety of the Airing Cupboard intro track. And so let's give them a plug, as I think it is a great bit of music, and it's called Hot October by Wood Spider. And now, on to our story. Jenny was 22 at the time. She had been backpacking for 11 months, Right through Australia and New Zealand and part of Southeast Asia, she had been travelling on her own, hooking up with different people for different parts of her trip, but really mostly alone. 
she had also fallen in love. She was English, he was American. They had both gone their different ways two months before. And they had not been in touch, because this was before the time of emails and text messages. Would she ever see him again? Could those backpacking romans ever work out? So here she was, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, spending the very last three days of her travels. She was a little wary and was ready now to fly back home to England. Travelling is strange, she thought, as at the time she could have carried on forever, but as soon as the moment to go home had neared, she had suddenly wanted to be back at her parents' house, in the comfort of a known home, surrounded by people who knew her and loved her. So she had decided to use these three days to sort out her diary and, most importantly, process the 18 rolls of film she had. She had dropped two rolls to test the quality of the processing in her lab and they had told her that the print would be ready by 3 p.m. the next day. So she entered the shop, excited to discover the prints, each one a little reminder of a moment, an experience, a face, a place, all collected during the last 11 months. The shop was very small, barely enough place for two or three customers to stand. Thankfully, it was empty, just the short Chinese owner with big heavy glasses behind his counter. She gave him the ticket and he pulled two photograph packets from behind the counter and she began to look through. And she was disappointed. The colors weren't right. She was trying to explain to the owner, who was doing his very best to understand. She, she was getting flustered, and the owner kept on bringing up his glasses back up his nose in a nervous tick. And then she heard the bell, and the door opened behind her. Another customer had just walked in. How embarrassing. She was now being listened to by this guy, and still she couldn't express herself clearly as to what was wrong with the prince. She could hear the breathing of the other customer just behind her, too close, sometimes looking rudely over her shoulder to catch a glimpse of the photograph she was speaking about. And then she heard his voice, in a very English English. The culprit is the cyan, the blue. The blue needs to be adjusted. She turned back and she looked at him or some of him, because he was very tall and the shop was so small, he was too close. But she could see his face, a very laid-back face, framed by long blonde hair, no hairstyle, just hair that hadn't been cut for months, and a big, giving smile with perfect white teeth. Those teeth had definitely received some authentic work, and he was flashing them as if quite proud of himself, 
happy to have given his little advice, although no one had ever asked him to do so. And then her eyes went on to the t-shirt he was wearing, and she recognized the logo immediately. The 1994 half marathon in her hometown in Somerset, England. How amazing! She immediately asked him where he had got that t-shirt from. Had he run that half marathon? And just like that, in the small photographic shop, in the middle of Kuala Lumpur, Jenny met Ivo, and Ivo met Jenny. Both born and bred in the same area in Somerset. And within a moment, in front of the bemused shopkeeper who was trying to make himself scarce behind his large spectacles, observing them politely and discreetly, hands crossed in front of him, the small space was suddenly full of the energy created when two people connect for the very first time, recognizing each other, grateful and amazed that they hadn't met before. As they came out of the shop, they carried on chatting. He was huge, a little unkept really. He was wearing linen trousers that had definitely not been bought for him, much too short, and his espadrilles were both showing his big toes. There was so much gentleness in his mannerism, and so much bonhomie, slightly in contrast with his light blue eyes, shining with intelligence and wit. They decided that they would meet up that evening in Chinatown at Kim Lian Ki on Petaling Street. They could share a tiger beer and something to eat. Ivo said they made the best Hokkien mee noodles over the charcoal fire. And so it was. That evening, both sat on rickety stools across the red metal table in the hustle and bustle of street trade. They spoke and laughed and ate a little and drank a lot, as if in a bubble, oblivious to the street madness around them. And under the plastic awning and the red lanterns dangling their tails of silk in the evening brouhaha, they shared their travel stories And gosh, he had many stories. He had left England 18 months before. At the time, he was working in the city in London, working hard and playing hard. And one day, as he was watching the news, something just clicked in his head. Within a month, he had worked his notice, given back the keys of his swanky apartment, broken up with his girlfriend and went to visit his mother's house. And there, in the bedroom of his childhood, he had carefully unpinned the world map that had hanged above his bed. The map he had observed so closely for so many hours, over so many years, and he folded it carefully. He bought a wad of traveler's checks, 
and one flight, a one-way ticket to Canada. And so his traveling day started. The United States, Mexico, right through Central America, through the Darien Gap, and down the west coast of South America. From close shave with cartel mob in poor suburbs in Colombia, to swimming with dolphins on a full moon night in Belize, he had had so many adventures. And then he had explained how he had fallen in love with a Chilean girl. And the days they had spent together and how she had taken him to her family and how he had felt alive with her and at peace as if he had arrived home and how close he had been to stop his travels there and then to stay with her get lost in her brown eyes and her thick dark hair and he told her how one morning He had suddenly decided to leave the Chilean girl without looking back, running ahead, hopping into a non-stopping bus for 48 hours and then his second flight, taking him across the ocean to New Zealand, putting as much distance between him and her as if the temptation to turn back could win him over any moment. She stayed with him always, in a special part of his heart, in the best part of him. And most days, he would write about her in his diary. But there was no contact. He didn't dare. He had abandoned her. And Jenny explained how she had also fallen in love during her travels. She was about to go home and she would certainly be in contact again with her American lover. But he lived in Boston and she lived in England. And their love story had taken place in this backpacking world, like a parallel reality where only the moment and the present stands, where home pressure do not exist anymore. Could it work in the real world? By that time, the restaurant had closed its shutters and Chinatown was mostly resting for the night. The only movements were the bin men working their way along the street, banging the metal lids of the bins they were emptying. It was time to retire, go back to the hostel, sleep and digest the vast amount of tiger beer consumed and stories heard and shared. They said their goodbyes. She would be taking a flight back to London in just under 30 hours. They exchanged their family's home address and their phone numbers, and Ivor asked Jenny to contact his mother and let her know they had met, spent this grand evening together under the Chinese lanterns, and that he was well. She promised she would, and they separated, for Jenny to fly back home and for him to carry on with his travels and what was going to be another 18 months of wonder, taking him right through Southeast Asia, China, Nepal, and then right across Africa and Europe. 
and Jenny held on to her promise. Once back in UK, as soon as she got over her jet lag, she contacted Ivo's mother to give her her fresh news of a wandering boy. And as the months passed, Jenny would often contact her to get news and updates as to where he was and what he was up to. And it was during one of those phone calls that Ivo's mum had mentioned a postcard that had arrived from Chile. She said it was from a woman asking the whereabouts of Ivo, asking for a forwarding address. She wanted to get in touch. Jenny asked the name of the person who had written the postcard and she recognized it instantly. The Chilean girl, the brown eyes and the thick hair. She could almost see her as Ivo had described her so well that night in Chinatown under the lanterns. And so Jenny told Ivo's mom, yes, to write back with no hesitation. The woman was a good friend of her son. He would be happy to be in touch with her. Of course, upon her return, Jenny had also contacted the American man. Hearing his voice in the comfort of her family home, reading his letters in the landscape of her childhood, had slowly rooted his presence in her everyday reality. And it wasn't long before he was over, visiting her in England and she visiting him in the States. And a year later, she was living full-time in Boston. And it was during one of her return trips back to Somerset that it had happened. She and the American had arrived the night before for the 70th birthday celebrations of her father. They had slept in a little too long after the long flight and when she woke up, the family house was empty. Her parents must have gone out. She was sitting at the window while the American was still quietly sleeping in the bed close to her. Her gaze was wandering between the bed and the rolling hills laying their soft curves in front of her. Her heart was quietly full. She felt grateful and amazed at how lives can work its mysterious ways to bring two people together across continents. And at that very time, the phone rang. She felt it wasn't a place to answer the call in her parents' house where she hadn't lived for a long time, but the house was empty, the American was sleeping, and she rushed downstairs, flying down the creaking wooden staircase she knew so well. And she stood in the hallway, bare feet on the cold flagstones. And she picked up the phone. The voice of a man, asking for her, pronouncing her name. Ivo. He was back in England. He was in London, in Greenwich, in a phone box overlooking the grassy lawns and the Thames. All was well. He was happy. And then he said he had someone with him in the phone box that wanted to speak to her and that he was going to pass the phone on to her. And she heard the voice of a woman in a Spanish accent, a South American accent. And she knew the voice belonged to a Chilean girl with brown eyes and thick, dark hair. And there, 
standing square on the cold flagstones of a childhood home. The American asleep in the queen bed upstairs. Jenny felt as if the phone in her hands was linking her directly to the red phone box in Greenwich where two lovers were intertwined, joining them with an invisible thread of life linking all, everywhere and everything. And for the little story, Ivo's mother had communicated a forwarding address to the Chilean girl. As Jenny had said, she had contacted Ivo and they had kept an epistolary relation for the rest of the duration of his travels. Their love had blossomed. Years have passed and now they are married and they have two children. And um, Ivo has somehow cleverly managed to establish a good life balance between normality and adventure. Jenny and the American have also married. They have three children and will soon celebrate their 20th wedding anniversary. Here you go, another story highlighting the connections, conversions that are here, there and everywhere, if only we stop and see. If you have enjoyed this story, please review the airing cupboard on iTunes and share it. I hope you all stay well and strong during the next few weeks and until we meet again in the airing cupboard, goodbye.